Isn't that beautiful? Praise God. That's, that's glory. I love stories like that. I love stories like that. That's beautiful. I got a grandson who will never know Grandpa the Drunk. It's <laughs> beautiful. I just love it. I thank Jim for uh, being willing to share that testimony, uh, honest testimony. He found that he couldn't do it alone, couldn't get out of that cage alone. He thought he was strong enough, uh, but he wasn't. It was stronger than him. He needed the help of others, some people to come alongside of him and, and invest in him and care about him and love him through this. Uh, it was with the help of others that he got out of the cage that he was in. And that is, in fact, true for all of us. Uh, we all need help getting out of some of the cages that we're in. And it's true that we're all called to help others get out of the cages that they're in. So we're, we're calling this sermon, titling this sermon, Extending Freedom. Uh, it's all about this. Uh, this. The story that Jim shared it reminds me of a story in the Gospels. It comes out of Mark chapter 2, kind of a strange story. Uh, it says this, A few days later when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. And when Jesus saw their faith, when he saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. And then a few verses later, he says, rise up and walk. And the guy did. Pray with me here for a moment. Father, I thank you for the tangible way your spirit is present here, has been throughout the worship time. Uh, and I pray, Lord, that same spirit now infuse this message with your authority to do what my words can never, ever do, and that is produce kingdom fruit. Uh, set captives free and set us free to set others free. Help us, God, to become like these uh, four friends who are willing to labor on behalf of others, a labor of love. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. So this man is paralyzed. We don't know how he got paralyzed. Um, I'll just assume he was in some kind of accident or something. Don't know that, but let's just go with it. And in the first century, being paralyzed is, is, is to be in about as hopeless a situation as you could possibly be in. Uh, these days, we've got some things that we can do for people who are paralyzed uh, so they can live a rather full life. You have motorized you know, wheelchairs, and um, they're even now making prosthetics that they can attach straight to your nervous system, and, and, and they're beginning to be able to move these prosthetics just by thinking about it. It's, it's just incredible. But in the first century, they didn't have any of that. In the first century, if you're paralyzed, you're going to be laying on your back the rest of your life. That's, that's it. Your life is pretty much over. They, these friends of his hear that Jesus is coming back into town. They hear that he has, there's rumors that he's done some incredible miracles and healed people from, from some incredible afflictions. Um, and so their hopelessness turns to hope. Uh, they're thinking maybe this is the time. Maybe, just maybe, this will be, my friend, our friend can get his life back. Maybe, just maybe, he'll walk with us again and he'll uh, once again embrace his wife and, and pick up his kids. And so there's, there's hope there. To bring this paralyzed guy to Capernaum and to the home where Jesus is, is preaching. Unfortunately, there's no room. It's absolutely packed, and you can't even look in from the outside door. I mean, it's just packed. Now, I've been to Israel, been to Capernaum, and seen the excavation of first century houses uh, in that area. And these things were tiny. 
They're like, like one-room efficiency apartments. That's all. There's one little room, really tiny. I, and I, it's, it's kind of puzzling because Jewish families tend to have a lot of kids. They didn't have like family planning back then. So they had to, had to have a lot of kids. And I always wonder, how do they do that? Because they all just sleep in the same room. I mean, how, do you, how do you go about making another baby when you've got five kids sleeping next to you? The answer is very quietly. <laughs> well, anyways, so it's really tiny. And uh, you have to, so when you think about this, this room, this house being packed, don't think of 400 people packed into a, you know, Donald Trump living room. Think of uh, maybe 10 to 15 people packed inside this little tiny efficiency apartment. That's what it would have been like. So imagine the scene here. Get into it. Uh, you're part of this crowd. You're inside this packed house. Okay, it's just crammed, incredibly crammed. Uh, and you're listening to Jesus talk about the birds of the air, lilies of the field, turning the cheek or whatnot. And, uh, and then right in the middle of the sermon, you, you hear some commotion above you, some scratching. And, and uh, you look up, and some debris starts to fall into your eyes because there's some wacko jobs up there trying to carve a hole through the roof. Now, that would be irritating under any circumstances. I mean, you, you don't have, it's not every day that you get to listen to the Son of God give a sermon, and now it's being interrupted uh, by these party crashers who are ripping apart the ceiling. That would be irritating, I think, for folks. The owner, I would think, would get really mad. I can just picture him pushing his way out of the crowd to get outside to start hollering at these guys. No one has house insurance back in those days, so if you've got a gaping hole in your roof, you've got to fix it, and who knows how long that would take. It, wouldn't be easy. Um, so he's going to be mad. And as the debris is falling, he's got a picture, you know, no one likes to have clunks of clay dropping on him. So they're pushing back, trying to get out of the way of this falling debris. But it's already packed, so as they're pushing back, some people are going to be crammed out the door. They're not going to be happy about it, so they're going to start joining the owner of the house, hollering at these guys. And then when they lower the, the friend through the hole, and, and I don't know how tall this guy was, but it, that I, I can't, they, you got to have a pretty big hole to do that. A giant hole, and they lower this guy down with ropes on a mat. Um, they, and the guy's paralyzed, so he can't stand, so he's got to lay down. It's going to take up more space. So gotta, people got to cram further to allow space for this, knocking a few more people out of the house who are going to join the owner and the other people hollering at these friends. These friends are going to catch some heat. You can't crash a party full of people going through the roof and think that they're going to be happy about it. And then on top of that, they, they don't know how Jesus is going to respond to this. Um, I one time had a sermon interrupted. Uh, remember Janice, our evil executive pastor, pulled a prank on me on April Fool's Day by having this lady pretend like her baby. Oh, he was terrible. That was irritating, I could tell you. So here Jesus is getting interrupted because some people are clawing through the roof. If, if some people started to claw through our roof right now, I would be irritated. <laughs> so uh, for all they know, he's going to like, get mad, use his popularity and authority to turn the crowd against him and railroad these yahoos out of town. Uh, they're, gonna, they're, they're catching heat for this. But they had to know that going into this. They had to know that, that there's going to be blowback on this, and they were taking a risk. But see, the possibility of seeing their friend healed made it worth it. Maybe, just maybe. This may be the only shot we've got, and so... They've got to get their friend in to see Jesus. And they don't care what they have to do. They're willing to go to any extreme to do it. And then, see, Jesus sees their faith. I love that phrase. He sees their faith. It wasn't the faith of the paralyzed guy. It was the faith of his friends. And faith is something visible. 
Because faith isn't just a transactional little idea that happens in your, in your head. Faith is a commitment to move in a certain direction, not knowing the outcome, but you're committed to going in this direction. He saw their faith. And that's why he could say, son, your sins are forgiven, and take up your mat and walk. Think about this. If it hadn't been for the, the faith of his friends, their willingness to take risks, to catch some blowback, to go to some radical extremes, so if it wasn't for them, this guy would have been laying on his back the rest of his life. He wouldn't have got his life back. He would never again walk with them. He wouldn't ever embrace his wife or hold his kids. He would have been paralyzed the rest of his life. But because of their faith, because they were willing to invest in him, do whatever it took, this, this guy's able to walk and get his life back. Jesus gets the credit for healing him, praise God. But his friends and their faith get the credit for putting him in a position where he could be healed. See, and this, this, folks, is how the kingdom always operates. It operates with community. It operates with people helping people. Uh, it operates by us having faith for one another, being committed to one another. Everything in the kingdom works like that. It works through relationships, including the process of getting free from cages. That's why we're all called to allow others to help us get free from our cages, and we're all called to be helping others get free from their cages. Everything about the kingdom is relational. And, and that's not just because it's practically beneficial, it's, it's, it's wired into the very nature of things. Think about this. God is love. And the reason God, God can be love is because God's not just a singular consciousness. Uh, God is, the Bible teaches, this triune being. He's, he is a relationship, a loving relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's how God could be loving even apart from the world, before the world. There's no other conception of God that can say that. It takes an I and a thou for love to happen, and only this revealed concept of God has an I and thou within God's own self. And it's a big mystery, but, but God is love. God is a relationship. Think about that. God is an eternal, perfect relationship. And so when he creates the world, everything reflects. His signature reflects that relationality. Everything is what it is by virtue of being in relationship to other things, especially human beings. We are who we are, our, our individuality is inseparable from the relationships that we have with others. Our identities, you might say, overlap with one another. Uh, we're woven together in, in, in profound ways. So these four friends, for example, who had the, this faith that allowed their, their friend to get his life back, whenever he takes a step, they're a part of that because they were instrumental in bringing that down. And when he embraces his wife and when he holds his kids, they're a part of that. Who they are is wrapped up in him. Who he is is now wrapped up in them. Uh, we, we are made in the image of God, which means we're, we're made relationally. Now, because we're made for relationship, relationships are part of our very identity, guess what the enemy does? He tries to blow apart relationships, tries to get us to think of ourselves as an island, uh, tries to get us to th see uh, depending on others as being a sign of weakness. It tries to get us to be so busy being successful and so self-absorbed that we don't have the time or the inclination to reach out to others or to allow them to reach out to us. He tries to get us isolated from our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers. Um, tries to get us separated from other believers and even from our spouse and our kids, if possible. Uh, he's always at work to isolate. Where he tries to get people so involved in Facebook that they get trying to get a thousand acquaintances that they don't have time for any genuine, mutually supportive relationships. It's the enemy's strategy. And, and on this, we have to tip our hat to him and said, in Western culture, you've done a very good job. Because Western culture is characterized by isolated individuals who have a lot of acquaintances, 
uh, but very few have profound, meaningful, mutually dependent relationships. Where God reigns it is the opposite of that. Where the relational triune God reigns, uh, you're going to find relationships reigning. Uh, people connected with one another, woven together. Everything in the kingdom is relational. It starts with Jesus. Okay, uh, here he, he could have isolated himself in the bliss of heaven, just enjoying perfect fellowship with the Father and Spirit, enjoying love, joy, and peace, and just concluded, well, this is just for me. But he didn't. Scripture tells us that though he was rich, he made himself poor for our sake. So we could then participate in his riches. He, he set aside, put on hiatus his divine advantages, his divine prerogatives, in order to become a full human being, entering into total solidarity with us. And then, look at this, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't use his unique relationship with the Father um, to his own advantage. He didn't like live a luxurious life and, of comfort. No, he uses his unique relationship with the Father and the unique authority that that has in order to serve others. And so his, his whole ministry is about freeing people from sicknesses and illnesses, freeing people, delivering them from demonic oppression and from social oppression and feeding people. He's, he, he uses, his, whatever he has to his advantage, he uses it on behalf of others. And then, of course, his greatest act of service is the cross, where he gives his life for, for us. And the Bible says it was for the joy that was set before him. For the joy that was set before him. He wasn't forced into this. He didn't do it begrudgingly. It was for the joy that was set before him and that, that, that he endured the suffering of the cross. And the joy that he saw was the joy of the love and joy and peace of God's own being being shared with others. Amen. The joy he saw was the multitudes and multitudes of people who are now going to be forever participating in the love, joy, and peace that he experienced before becoming a human being. Uh, so think about this. The implication is this. With, 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 with the incarnation, which is just God becoming a human being, with the incarnation and the, and the cross where God takes on our sin, what it shows is that God doesn't even define himself in isolation from us. God, God wraps up his identity in our identity. He, wraps, he, he, he makes our welfare his welfare. We're, we're forever entangled with him. He chose to do that. He could have stayed isolated, but instead he chose to entangle himself with us. It's because he's a relational God. From God's perspective, even his godness, even his, the, the benefits of being God are something to be shared. They're not just to be hoarded for himself. So he creates beings to share them with, and that is you, and that is me, and we are all invited into the, the, the Trinity. How do you like that? That is you, that is me, and we're all invited to share in the Trinity. Uh, a little Dr. Seuss moment. All right. Where God reigns, it's the opposite of where the enemy reigns. Everything God does has relationality built into it. Most people, I think, assume that their existence is just for themselves. I, you were created because you get to be created. Yay, I get to exist. Much better than not existing. Uh, but see, the truth is that you being created is not just for you. Your existence is not just for you. Yes, it is for you. You get to exist. But you exist also for others. And, and you won't discover the full joy of existing until you accept that fact and start serving others. It, 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 it's hardwired into the nature of things. I think most people assume that their salvation is just for them. It's just about being Jesus. I invited him into my heart. So yay, I get to be saved. I get to go to heaven. I can have my sins forgiven. I'll live forever with him. Yay. Well, it is for you. Wonderful. But it's not just for you. In the kingdom, it's never just for you. You're saved for the sake of others. And, and, and so with, with salvation comes the job description. Uh, and, and you'll never discover the full joy of salvation or, the, the, or grow in your salvation until you start accepting that and care about the welfare of the salvation of others. And I think 
most people assume that getting out of cages is just about them. You get to get out of your cage. Wonderful. You get to be free of your addiction. You get to be free of the bondage, the fear, the phobia, the shame, whatever it is. Yay. But it, and it is for you, but it's not just for you. If, if God is bringing you out of a cage, it's also for the sake of others. Um, it's never just about you. He wants to use your process of getting free from the cage to help others get free from the cage. In the kingdom, it's always a both and. Yes, it's for you and it's for others. Relationality is built into everything that God does. In fact, the truth is this. Often, helping others get out of their cage is a condition. It's an aspect of us getting out of our cage. By, by caring about others getting out of their cage, we get out of our own cages. Uh, it's because that reflects the image of God, relationality. Uh, last week, I, I shared this lie, this filthy, dirty, debaucherous, diabolical, pussy lie, that um, you first have to get your, clean up your act and get healed before you can enter into the love of Jesus. Remember that? Uh, you know, first clean up, get healed, and now you can go to Jesus. Whereas the truth is that it's by being loved by Jesus in the midst of your, your fallenness, in the midst of your wounds, that's what heals you from your fallenness and your wounds. That's why the enemy lies to us, because if we believe that we first got to clean ourselves up before we go to Jesus, we'll never get cleaned up. We've got to get the love of Jesus first to get cleaned up. Okay, that's the lie. Now, there's a, a, a similar lie that I want to confront this morning, and it's this. The enemy will say that first you have to get yourself healed, get out of your cage before you can even think about helping somebody else get out of their cage. He'll say things like, look at you've got enough to worry about. You've got enough problems. You've got enough trouble. You don't distract yourself by caring about the troubles of others. You don't need more of that. No, first you get your act together. He might even say you're a hypocrite if you try to help somebody else get out of their cage when you're in an even worse cage. He lies like this. Whereas, folks, the truth is that um, God always wants to use us just as we are, warts and all. Uh, imperfections and all, just as you are, with all the woundedness, with all the brokenness, he wants to use you. Amen. Never put on hiatus this idea of helping others. Um, it's, it's always built into everything he does. Every good intended for us is also intended for others. Now, it's true that sometimes in life you can take such a hit that your pain and grief is unbearable. You have moments like that, nightmare moments. And in that state, you, just, you lack the capacity to think about the pain and grief of another. That's true. But know that that is always a temporary state. And know that God will eventually use your pain and grief to minister to the pain and grief of somebody else. And that's going to help you in your pain and grief. All right? Offer it up to God. It's also the case that we all need boundaries. I have known people who... Uh, they are so other-oriented that they don't have a self. They don't have a life. They don't have their own, their own identity. is nothing but, 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 but serving others. And that's not healthy. Um, the, often they're meeting some need. It can be a cage they're in. That they, they, they just, you know, whatever anyone wants, they're doing it. They don't have any kind of concept of self. No, God wants you to have a self. And, and there's got to be boundaries there. You can't take on everything. You, 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 you get to have a life, all right? You get to, he wants you to have a life, a full life. But see, the balance is this. Yes, you need boundaries, but there's got to be some space in that boundaries for others where you are, are, are pouring yourself out and being used by God to help others get out of that cage. So with those qualifications, know that every good that's intended for you is also intended for somebody else, including the good of 
the process of getting out of the cage. Uh, as you're in that process, God wants to use you to help others get out of that cage. So the time to ask, who am I supposed to be helping, is now. Whatever situation you're in, the time to ask, how might God want to use whatever I've got to offer to bless somebody else and to heal somebody else, that time is now. Unless you're going through a nightmare in life, or unless you have no boundaries and you need to get healthy on that, uh, it, that aside, now is the time to ask, who might God be calling me to minister to? Uh, be to pour into, I don't care how wounded you are, how imperfect you are, how fallen you are, how, how thick your cage is, how, how you, much shame you're dealing with, how many scars you have. I don't care if you've been a Christian for 20 years or 2 minutes or 2,000 years. Now is the time to be asking the question, how am I supposed to share what I have, including the process of my healing, uh, to help others? Because the truth is that God will even use, I mean, think, maybe, just maybe, God wants to use your cagedness to help somebody get out of a cage. Because he's smart enough to do that. <laughs> he wants you in that cage right now so that you can now somehow minister to somebody else getting out of the cage. And as you help them get out of a cage, you're going to find yourself getting out of a cage. Consider that possibility. So it's like a lady I knew a couple of years ago was, she tragically lost her son, which is the worst nightmare a parent could ever imagine. And so she joined a, uh, the uh, grief support group in the refuge. Um, and so she, she was here w willing to invite others in on her, her broken heart and have others invite her in on their broken heart. And she shared with me that the thing that ministered to her most, when she went to this group, it wasn't that somebody had the perfect formula on how to mend a broken heart. It wasn't that. It was that she entered into relationship with people who understood what it is to have a heart that couldn't possibly be mended. It was their brokenness that ministered to her. And her brokenness ministered to them. That, that's how God operates. He, he turns the woundedness to his advantage. That's why Paul says, in all things, God's working together for the better. Yes, in all things, even in your broken heart, even in your grief, even in your pain, he's working for the better. And so he can use you in that situation. That's why Paul also says that when we are weak, he is strong. Amen? When we're weak, the weak, he can turn the weakness into a strength. He uses it to his advantage. Another guy I, I, I met um, several years ago, I completely lose track of time. I can't tell if it was one year or five years or ten, but a couple of years ago, there's this guy who was part of the Pure Men's Desire group in the refuge. Uh, he was in, in, in addicted to porn. And um, uh, he, he shared with me this. He was really encouraged by the men in the group who had already gotten free. Uh, they could give a testimony. They were in bondage, but now they're free. And that encouraged him. But what ministered even more to him were the guys who were still struggling. Um, they, they were where he was at. He hadn't kicked this yet. He, was, he, he would be good for a week and fall. And so he was still struggling. And there's other guys in the group that were still struggling. And he said, what ministered to me was that I knew when I fell, they were there to say, hey, we know exactly where you are, but we got up again, and so can you, and we're going to help you get up. And then when they would fall, he'd be there and say, I know exactly where you're at, and, and, uh, uh, but I, I, I was able to get up again, and now I'm going to help you get up. And the difference between a sinner and a saint, as we say around here sometimes, is that a, a saint is just a sinner who keeps getting up, all right? This guy was a saint. God uses us in the midst of our weakness. It's often said, and it's true, that wounded people wound people. Have you heard that? Wounded people wound people. And that's true as a general rule. But when we come to Christ and surrender that wound to him and are willing to think about the woundedness of others even as we are wounded, now it becomes true in the kingdom that God uses wounded people to heal wounded people. 
and the process of using them to heal wounded people, they themselves find healing. Amen? That's the beauty of the kingdom. What a smart God we have, right? And it reflects his relationality. We're always called to be thinking about pouring into others. It's never just for us. So I want to end this with saying four quick things about this, this other orientation that reflects the image of God that we're all, all called to be living in. The first thing is this. Um, because this is hardwired into the nature of things, God is a relational God and everything is supposed to operate through relationships. It means that uh, a follower of Jesus should always have something like a for others list. Who is God calling you to reach out to, to, to help, uh, to offer yourself up with? And who does God want to use to bring further healing into your life? There always should be a for others list. Whereas the natural way to do life is just to have your little unclosed click and go along uh, and not be concerned with others you don't know, people who intersect your life, but they're strangers. That's the natural fallen way of doing things, but we are called to always have some other on our focus, a for other list. Otherwise, we'd be like Jesus staying in heaven saying, I don't want to bother with those turds down there. They're not worth it. Uh, you know, but he didn't do that. Okay, so the first step is to ask God to put on your radar screen, on your for other list, who it is that you're supposed to be starting to move towards. All right? And he'll tell you. There's always someone. Unless you're in a nightmare and unless you don't have any boundaries and you need to find some boundaries, for everyone else, there should be someone on our for other list. Maybe one or two, three people. The second thing is then to ask God to give you his heart for that other person or other people. Uh, here's the thing. There's a world of difference between caring about people and acting like you're caring about people because the preacher told you to do so. <laughs> if, if you're acting like you're caring about people because there's a rule that says you're supposed to and you'll feel guilty if you don't, then, then you really aren't caring about people. What you're doing is trying to alleviate your own guilt. Yeah. World of difference between the two. Um, and you're not likely going to do them any good or yourself any good. God doesn't call us to pretend like we care about people. God calls us to care about people, uh, to, to genuinely care about them. We're to be motivated by a love, not by a rule. Now, the truth is, in our fallen state, unless you have fully arrived in conformity with Jesus, we don't naturally care about people that we're not in relationship with. And so we've got to ask God, God, give us your heart for this person. Help us to see what you see. Help us to see their unsurpassable worth. Help us maybe to get some sense of the cage they're in and to feel, our, our, have a, a heart that breaks for that and it wants them to be free. Because see, if you're doing a rule, what invariably happens is it gets awkward. You try to force it. It's, it, it, it's contrived. But when you just genuinely care, in the flow of life, things naturally begin to unfold. It's the most natural thing in the world. You're, the, that care, that love, that concern pulls you forward and things naturally happen. And so, so ask God to give you his heart. Uh, no faking here, all right? The third thing is to commit to praying for that person. Pray for that person. Uh, pray that, um, first, pray, just pray a blessing on them. Now, I encourage folks to always be blessing folks. You know, just be a blessing machine. Um, agree with God that every person you see has unsurpassable worth. That's a great habit to develop. But the person on your four others list is someone that you're going to commit to be more intentional on this and to go deeper with this. So you, pray, you, you have a unique authority as a kingdom person, in case you didn't know, to open the windows of heaven and bring down blessing on people's lives. And they don't know a thing about it. And that's the beautiful thing about it, is that, that you, you get to change them without them having a clue. So first, open up the gates of heaven to call down blessing on them. Um, and then pray that, that God would open up natural doors for you to begin to uh, develop a relationship with them in which 
God's going to use you to impact them and them to impact you. Often people find that it's as you pray for a person that that's when God gives you his heart and that's when God begins to open your eyes to see what he sees. Uh, and that, 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 that just reframes everything. Uh, years ago, Shelly and I lived uh, next to this neighbor of unsurpassable worth who... <laughs> She hit it very well. Uh, it, 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 she was uh, one of my, as cantankerous, cantankerous and, and petty and mean-spirited as, as a person can be. It just really, she'd go out of her way to make life more difficult for people. Like, really work at it. Uh, who knows why? But, you know, kind of neighbor who, if you're doing a little bit of building on the house and she doesn't see a work permit, she'll call the city office and say, I think I got something to report here not knowing a clue as to what you're doing. It was just, you know, so the old Greg Boyd would be mad at her and, and, and maybe just want to despise her like everybody else on the block did. And, um, you know, because the way she treated us is irrational and crazy and we treat our kids and, you know, our dog for crying out loud, leave our dog alone. <laughs> so you get this natural kind of, kind of thing. But as, king, as kingdom people, that's not an option for us. We're to love our enemies, bless those who persecute you, pray for those who despitefully use you. Uh -huh. uh, <laughs> no, no retaliating against a nasty neighbor, folks. Sorry. Uh, and, and see, here's the thing. When I began to do that, it, it, it reframed how I see, viewed her. Uh, God opened my eyes and gave me his heart for this lady. Um, what I really came to see was that no one just wakes up one day living an otherwise normal, happy, healthy life and says, gosh, I think I'm going to be the most miserable person in the world from now on, and I'm going to make everyone else as miserable as possible too. Who does that? Who chooses that? No one does. Something happened. Something happened. And who knows what it is, but, but I, I came to see this lady as being trapped in this miserable, miserable, diabolic cage. Um, a precious daughter of God has been kidnapped. Something hijacked her humanity a long time ago, and she's in prison. And, and I began to feel the Father's heart for her imprisonment. Um, and it opens up, it gets you thinking about what was the prequel. Everyone's got a prequel, a story that explains the story that you're witnessing, because you're just seeing the tip of the iceberg. And, and uh, you begin to wonder, like, what happened that crushed this, this lady's spirit when she was a little child? What happened there? What, what, what what was it that made life such a huge disappointment for her? When did she come to believe that, that the whole world is against her? And when did she become afraid of being nice? Because that's what was going on here. I think she's afraid of being nice. She's hiding behind her meanness. I, I don't know what the answer to this question is, but I do know that, that, that she was in a prison. Um, and and it, when we frame it like that, it begins to, instead of viewing with judgment and anger, you, you see with compassion. In fact, Behind most, and I can't say all because evil is real, but I think we should live with the assumption that when we confront a very mean, nasty person, unusually nasty mean, know that that is, a, the, the, that is what a wounded, imprisoned spirit looks like on the outside, at least sometimes. What, what you're seeing in that meanness is the cry of a wounded, imprisoned soul. And we're called to see past that exterior and to see the wound behind. Everyone else will judge the exterior. But we're, we as kingdom people, are, as we agree with God that they have unsurpassable worth, we can look behind that and, and see something of the wound that, that's causing it. And it will move you towards compassion uh, towards mean people rather than, than, than judgment. 
So when some of you have a nasty neighbor right now, just maybe, just maybe, God would call you to be used in a process of setting a son or daughter of the king free. All right? That's the honor that, that, that we have. It's uh, concealing stuff. So pray for the person and, and be open to God showing you things and changing your heart about them. The final thing is this. Um, and this is really important. Are they all, all this is important, but this one, take special note, because this is what tends to happen. The person or people that are on your for others list, they're not your project. <laughs> Amen? And you're not called to fix them. Uh, this is, this ha- you know, Christians do this quite a bit. Well, we're going to go save the world. That Charlie needs Greg to help him, you know? Uh, and, and see, when we, when we do that, when people are a project, because we're going to get points for helping them, uh, we come across as self-righteous, we come across as having a superiority complex, we come across as trying to be the savior. That, oh, Super Greg comes to the rescue. And nobody wants that. Nobody, you can smell it a mile away. It, it's just it's a very unattractive thing, okay? It just doesn't do any good. And see, the truth is, we are not more righteous than anybody, and we are nobody's savior, and people are not projects. People are people. And we are just people. We're broken people that God wants to use in the process of helping broken people, knowing that helping them in the process of their brokenness is what helps heal us. That's what's going on here. God's already at work in this person's life. You can know that. He's always working behind the scenes. We just have the privilege of of joining up with him in that process. And it's not about us coming down to these lowly wounded people. No, we're on a level playing field. And whatever sin we think we see in their eye, just know that it's nothing compared to the tree trunk that's coming out of your own eyes. All right? So humbly we come and, and uh, we just want to be used. See God work a process whereby we are used as a healing agent. And even the woundedness, even the scars, even the warts, all of that, it's everything we've got. Uh, it can be material that God uses to bless another person. And then it comes ricocheting back on us. So I want to end with this activity. This, I, I want to give some flesh to this message uh, and, and lock it in. Inside your bulletin, there is an insert uh, with, with some questions on it. Would you get that out right now? Uh, and uh, it, it, those on the, in the aisles, um, there's some pencils by you. And would you just pass those down for uh, people who uh, need, need something to write with? Here's what I want to do. I want to go back to step one. I want us to spend three, four minutes praying for God to put in our hearts, in our minds, the one or the two or the three people that are supposed to be on our for others list. All right? Who does God want you to have on your radio screen? Who does God want you to commit to being a friend like the four friends of this paralyzed guy? Um, who is God calling you to commit to seeing with eyes of compassion and to learning from? And listening to, okay? And, and who might God be calling you uh, to, to be a person that would be, maybe if a door opens, to share your story uh, and to share your faith, trusting that God will use this somehow to bring healing to them and further freedom to you. Um, you know, it was the faith of the four friends that brought about this guy's healing. Uh, and so here we have... A, Maybe just maybe God wants to use you to exercise faith on behalf of another to bring about their freedom, knowing that that will ricochet back and further your freedom. So let's pray here. And I encourage you to write down whatever comes to you on that little insert there. Amen? Come Holy Spirit. Well, would you stand? I'm going to close with these words. The, uh, for without for those four friends, this guy would have stayed paralyzed the rest of his life. Think about this. 
Who in our life, intersects with our life, will stay the same as they are now, as imprisoned as they are now, unless we agree to be used, to have faith for them? Um, our lives get to count, you guys. They count. They matter. We are in a war, as we've been saying the last five weeks, this whole series on spiritual warfare. Uh, we're, we're, we're in a war. We're stationed behind enemy lines. Um, and and uh, when I look at this congregation right now, what I see is a mighty army. Uh, you're a bunch of warriors. Amen? And, and it's a privilege. We get to make a difference. He wants to use us to make a genuine difference, to tear down strongholds, to set captives free. Uh, you know, we, we don't do it on our own. It's, it's Christ in us. But with Christ, all things are possible. Praise God. And we are staged behind enemy lines, but we know that greater is he that's in us than he that is in the world. And being compelled by the love of Christ, as Paul says, we're to be just soldiers of love who just are available to be used in our woundedness, in the imperfections, in the incomplete state that we're at. This is the beauty of God. He'll take your imperfection and turn it into a bullet, you know? And he'll take that failing and turn it into a bomb on the enemy's camp. You know, all that we think is, is, is against us is actually, if we surrender to him and are willing to be used, it is, it is for us. And so I encourage us to be the army that God calls us to be. Have on our radar screen others who are in need and be used. Not, you're not the Savior. Don't go try to rescue anybody. Just be a humble, broken person who's willing to be used uh, and, and trusting that he'll use you in your brokenness to heal them and it will ricochet back on you. Uh, this is our captain, our brilliant, marvelous military captain. Amen. Amen. Uh, uh, before I say go, the uh, prayer team will be up here uh, by the stairs. And if you are here, have any need whatsoever that could use prayer, I encourage you to come up here and pray with these folks. If you're not a follower of Jesus, but something's pulling at your heart right now, I encourage you to come up here, share that, and they'll introduce you to get started on this walk with God. And, and you can become part of this army as well. Folks, go out in the power of God like a roaring lion, ready to do the work of love and exercise the faith that he's called us to do to set captives free in Jesus' name. And of course, go Broncos. God bless you guys. Woo!